This is Christian Questions. Tyrone Edwards once said, Sin with the multitude and your responsibility and guilt are as great and as truly personal as if you alone had done the wrong. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience and promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. You talk and we listen and then... No, wait a minute. We talk first. That's right. We talk and you listen. I knew there was something wrong with that. It's a little early in the morning. It's not any earlier than any other Sunday morning. But hey, we talk and you listen, then you talk and we listen. I got it. All right. Good, Rick. And you can contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com or .net. I'm Rick, I think. And I'm Jonathan. Here we go. And we are glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what is our topic today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do we manage guilt And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. And Jonathan, we have all made mistakes in our lives and we have all had the experience of carrying those mistakes with us, often unnecessarily, in the form of guilt. Left unattended, guilt like this can turn to shame which can simply bring darkness to our lives. How, do we, how does a Christian, rather, overcome deep and debilitating guilt and shame over past mistakes? Because we're sinners, aren't we inherently guilty? Is guilt good? Is guilt bad? How does the Bible say we should deal with this? Well, folks, stay with us. It's going to be interesting. There's an awful lot to this subject, Jonathan. There is, Rick. And the reason you're doing it is because you received uh, an email. Right. And he, uh, a listener uh, emailed uh, about this exact question. How does a Christian deal with guilt in their lives? And they proceeded to explain in their email they'd had some things that had happened earlier, long ago in their life, that they just still felt very, very guilty about. And, you know, what's, how, what should I be doing? How do I, how do I cope with that? And, uh, you know, thinking about it, thinking, you know what, a lot of people have that experience. That's true. So, uh, yes, we decided to do this particular subject at this particular time because one of the listeners had an issue and we wanted to, to address it. So uh, I don't think they wanted their name mentioned. So, listeners, thank you very much uh, <laughs> for giving us the, the, um, the inspiration to move forward with this particular subject. So, Jonathan, let's, let's get started with this. Let's get right into it. First of all, mention two, thing in, two things in the introduction, guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. first thing is, well... Are they the same? Are they different? How do they work together? Do they work together? Or are they separated? What's the, what's the deal with guilt and shame? Let's start with guilt. All right. Well, guilt means to offend, be guilty, or trespass. Okay. So, and that's an Old Testament definition of, of the word. And a good example of that is in Numbers chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It gives us a sense of what guilt or guilty is. Speak to the sons of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins of mankind, acting unfaithfully against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess his sins, which he has committed, and he shall make restitution in full for his wrong, and add to it one-fifth, and give it to him whom he has wronged. 
Okay, so when a person commits sins of mankind, acts unfaithfully against the Lord, he is guilty. That's exactly what the way we would imagine what guilt is supposed to mean. Yes. So that yep. Old Testament word really fits well. Now, a, a good New Testament word, there's, there's several words, but these are just kind of like main basic words. Basically, what's the definition from the New Testament? It's kind of like bound or under obligation, subject to. Reliable. And actually, part of the definition was almost exactly what was, you know, to offend, to be guilty, or to trespass as well, that mm-hmm. left off of there. So it really is the same. Old Testament and New, and that's good news because it makes it easier to figure out. Yes, okay? exactly. James 2.10, though, is a good verse that helps us understand guilt in the New Testament. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has been guilty of all. So, now that's a pretty broad and breathtaking statement. It is. <laughs> we are sinners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's right, and, and therefore we are all guilty. So, really the question begins to develop, okay, well, what do you do if you're a sinner? And guess what, folks? You are. Yes. <laughs> uh, and what do you do with that guilt? So, folks, we'd love to hear from you on this. What, you, what are your thoughts on guilt and shame and, and how to cope with them? Maybe you've had experiences or observed some things about them uh, that would be helpful to us. 866-985-4255 is our number. 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And check out our new website at ChristianQuestions.com. It is pretty awesome, that website. I'll tell you what. They've got some some great things on there. Folks, you're going to love it. ChristianQuestions.com or ChristianQuestions.net. Both ways, it works. Jonathan, okay, so so guilt is really what we think, okay, Mm -hmm. what what, what we thought about. What is shame? And to get into that, let's go to a a soundbite from Brene Brown. Um, She gave a couple of talks on... You know, TED Talk. Now, TED, T-E-D, I don't even remember what it stands for, but they they have these these people come in from different um, areas of expertise in life and just share life observations. They're really, really good. We've used them in the past several times. And this woman, Brene Brown, really nails this subject down. We're going to go back to her several times uh, uh, this morning as we go through this. But she's talking in this section about shame versus guilt. Let's listen. Shame drives two big tapes, never good enough, and if you can talk it out of that one, who do you think you are? The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. How many of you, if you did something that was hurtful to me, would be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? How many of you would be willing to say that? Guilt. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame. I'm sorry, I am a mistake. There is a huge difference between shame and guilt. And here's what you need to know. Shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. And here's what you even need to know more. Guilt, inversely correlated with those things. All right, so that gets us started. She said some very profound things there just to help us understand the difference between the two. Uh, first of all, shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. And so there's a difference. What shame ends up being is taking upon yourself maybe guilt that you felt for something that you did. Okay. And then never letting it go, never letting it go, and having it define who you have become. 
Wow. So shame is worse. Yes. <laughs> Much yeah. worse than guilt. Shame, shame is, is guilt on steroids. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, that's, that's, that's just one way, one way to look at it. Uh, and she says that shame is highly correlated with all kinds of very, very, very bad addictive type behavior. Depression and, and violence, wow. Right, and, and she says guilt is inversely correlated, meaning when you feel guilt and you have it in its right perspective, it keeps you away from those kinds of behaviors. Excellent. But shame, because you say to yourself, I am bad, you fall into those kinds of things. So it's a very, very interesting um, comparison between the two. Look, the question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, are shame or guilt ever good for us? And we're going to get to that pretty soon. But this at least helps us understand that you're dealing with something big and something deep. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so now let's just look at shame uh, in the Old Testament and New Testament very quickly. Shame, Old Testament, go ahead. Shame, disgrace, dishonor, uh, ignominy. All right, and a good scripture for that is Proverbs thirteen eighteen. Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Interesting, because in that proverb scripture it says shame you know, will come to him who neglects discipline. And shame will come because basically you will be looked... And it's funny because in our society it doesn't work as well as it used to because shame will come as you are in society being compared along with everybody else. And if you are not disciplined back in those days and you didn't take care of business, it really showed. Mm, gotcha. And here in our society, somehow or other, it doesn't show so much. And we're sort of, I don't want to get into that. All right. <laughs> shame in the New Testament. The confusion of one who is ashamed of anything, sense of shame, ignominy, disgrace, dishonor. Okay, so very, very, very similar. similar. Philippians 3.19 is a good scripture on that. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who sets their minds on earthly things. So these are talking, this is talking about those who are are posing as Christians but really aren't, but are in it for the... The, the personal glory and the personal grandeur and all of those things. And it's saying, look, their glory is in their shame. And their shame is presented before God. Because here they are talking about being servants of God, but they're really not. So that gives us a sense of, of shame being something much more long-term than guilt in its proper place. Okay, now, again, we can have guilt and shame in their proper place and then in their improper place. Okay. And I think for most of us, we struggle with keeping them out of where they don't belong. Which is not easy. No, no, it's not. And that's why we're going to do two hours on this. <laughs> again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues next hour online and all through the week. Christian Questions is live Sunday mornings and on demand with tons of topics to talk about. And our featured audio archive, CQ Rewind, Facebook, and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.net. So, <clears throat> a lot, of, uh, lot of, of, of good material to draw from. Isn't the first time shame mentioned in the Bible, um, and I could be wrong on this, is when the nakedness, when they realized yeah. they were naked, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they that, felt good shame yeah. right there at the, fir- at the beginning of the first sin. And that was appropriate shame, incidentally. So, you know, that's the thing. You've got to, we've got to look at it all and say, okay, is it appropriate? Is it not appropriate? And when it's not appropriate, when it's not something that is going to teach us something, then how do we get rid of it? See, that's a challenge. It is. It's a huge challenge. I want to go to a, um, 
Another soundbite. And Jonathan, this is a story that we're going to tell throughout the first hour uh, through soundbites. This is about grief. Uh, It was somebody who was on Dr. Phil. We don't hear Dr. Phil. We're just going to hear her part of the story. But it is an incredibly sad, sad, tragic story. So we want to just start by introducing it here. I can remember in slow motion all of a sudden just see this, the tip of a brown thing on the front of my car. It, uh, it was a little boy. His name was Stuart. Stuart hit the front of my car, um, hit the top of my car, hit my windshield, shattered my windshield, and then flew behind me. So the story is this woman is just simply driving down the road, and literally this small child ran out in front of her car. She didn't see him because he was so little, and she killed him. And so when you talk about guilt and shame, having a story like that in the mix is important. Oh, this is huge. Yeah. Right, because it helps us define the, the, that internal turmoil that we, that we can have uh, with, with guilt and shame. And again, sometimes it's right and appropriate, and sometimes it may not be. So that's how we have to, to, to put this all in perspective. Jonathan, there is also a recipe we're going to be talking about through the program. Okay, are we cooking something? <laughs> It's the recipe for guilt and shame-free living. Okay. Lots of ingredients. We're going to be introducing one ingredient each each segment of the program. So our first ingredient for guilt and shame-free living from the, from that recipe is the ingredient of conviction. And we're going to be basing these on Psalm 51, which is the psalm that King David wrote after his great sins with Bathsheba. Remember that? That's right. And how he killed Uriah. I mean, he did Her all. Her husband. Yeah, he yeah. was. He was. He was. He was deeply nasty in what he did. And he didn't realize it until the prophet came and made him aware right. of how bad. Well, he did realize it, it but he was. hid from it. That's the key. Uh, so Psalm fifty-one, verses one through three. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. So our first ingredient is conviction. Uh, It's to have a righteous conviction of heart and mind toward that which we have done. This is opposite from the denial that we so often experience, and David was in denial for a long time. So the first thing you need to do is admit your mistake. Right, and it's not just saying, okay, I did it. It's saying, okay... I did it. Having conviction means like you own it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So in order to help us put guilt and shame in their proper perspective, we need the conviction of ownership of what it is that we have done. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, how do we manage guilt? Coming up, since shame and guilt are a part of our lives, unless you're perfect, how do you cope or do you just give in? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, how do we manage guilt? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.net. 
And Jonathan, we're talking about guilt and shame. We looked at the differences be- between guilt and shame in the first segment. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Big difference between the two. The problem is guilt carried unnecessarily can become shame. Okay. And we, were, we began talking about the ingredients for living a guilt and shame-free life. That's right. And conviction is our first one. Right. Owning what you have done. Mm-hmm. If there's something you've done wrong, you own it. That's the, and you've got to own it, not just say, yeah, I did it, but own it. This is a, a great conversation, and we're so glad that we got an email from one of our listeners to talk about this subject. Right. They had, one of the listeners had an issue with something uh, along the lines of carrying guilt for, for her whole life and uh, just basically asked a question, what do I do? And we thought, you know what, let's talk about it uh, in, in, a, in a big way because the scriptures do give us a sense of how to handle this. And so that's where we're heading right now. Now, can shame or guilt ever be a good thing? That's a great, great question, and we're going to begin to get into that during this segment, I think, okay. because that's something that we need to put in, in, into perspective. So let's look at a good reason for guilt and shame. Let's look at a scriptural reason, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed round him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Saul is literally caught red-handed by the Lord Jesus, the heavenly Lord Jesus. Talk about a reason to feel guilt and shame. Big time. Because he's on his way to destroy Christianity. But he's serving the Lord, isn't he? Well, he thought he was. And he he thought he was doing the right thing, and he found out that he's doing the wrong thing. So enter guilt and shame mm-hmm. as a result of that. That's so right. so there's, there are good reasons. Guilt and shame are important parts of our lives. They help us identify where we should and should not go. As a matter of fact, our next soundbite from John Bradshaw deals with healthy shame uh, as, as, as a boundary, essentially. How, how, how important it is to understand how shame can work in a positive way in our lives. So this is the beginning of the answer is, well, can they ever be good? All right. L- listen to this. And what healthy shame is, is knowing your limits. In fact, healthy shame is the feeling that lets me know that I'm limited. If I don't have healthy shame, I'm not in touch with my basic boundary. See, a a boundary is, no, don't come any closer. Boundary, boundary, don't come any closer, or me expressing my anger or whatever. That's a boundary. That's, that's, that's something like a boundary is what, what a country has to guard its borders. A person without boundaries is like a country without any borders. So he's really talking about the concept that healthy shame is good and important. Because it stops you in your tracks. Exactly. Because you realize that perhaps you've gone down a road of temptation previously in your life. Or you've observed somebody go down that road of temptation in their lives and you see how it wrecked their life. And you say, I don't want to ever go down that road, either ever again or ever even for the first time. Oh, it's great that you don't have to experience it yourself. You can learn from others. That's the best way. (laughs) It's not always the convenient way for us because we just got to be who we are. You know, that's what we say anyway. But healthy shame 
says it's a shameful place to go. I'm not going there. So it actually is important to have it as a boundary to keep us from going. Now, Rick, this is not the easiest subject. So going to CQ Rewind would be a great idea for a subject like this so that you can really distinguish between shame and guilt and understand them and see how they work. Yeah, and also see how guilt and shame properly applied are really, really good and valuable and improperly applied are like this black hole that you get into and you, it just it, it just rules your life. It sucks you in and it destroys you. So sign up for Christian for CQ Rewind at ChristianQuestions.net. It's a free service and it just lays it right out in front of you. Graphics is sent to you once a week and uh, it, it's an awesome service. It, it, it is and again it, it's a free service. It's available. The, the CQ Rewind, the full edition is available. Uh, sign up only at the website ChristianQuestions.com or ChristianQuestions.net. Uh, Jonathan, so we've got the Apostle Paul. Remember, we talked about a good reason to feel guilt and shame. That's right, Look, persecuting he, the church. He was holding the garments of the people who stoned Stephen to death. The first Christian martyr. Right. So he is the one saying, yeah, kill him. He's the one pointing the finger. So he had to live with that after he becomes a Christian. And in 1 Corinthians fifteen nine to 11, you get a sense of... The like you were saying during the break, the heart of the Apostle Paul in dealing with that past of his own experience. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they... This is what we preach, and this is what you believe. So what he's saying here, it's profound. He says, first of all, I am least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because of what I did. That's right. And, and that was his heartfelt, he wasn't just saying that to be political. That was his heartfelt uh, human emotion on the matter. Mm-hmm. But here's what he did. He took that human emotion and he said, but it's by the grace of God that I am an apostle. I may not deserve it, but God gave me through Jesus. He gave me that privilege anyway. And because of that mistake, I'm going to work hard for the Lord. Exactly, exactly. So he used his guilt and shame as a catapult to move him forward instead of as a black hole to suck him in. Yeah, it didn't paralyze him. Right. He says, the grace of God... Let's see. And his grace to me was not without effect. Mm -hmm. So it took a great measure of the grace of God to to be in the apostle's life, but it had its effect. And he says it's the grace of God that lifted me to be able to do the things and to preach the the, the gospel the way I do. So it's an incredible example of guilt and shame properly placed in somebody's life. You're listening to Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, how do we manage guilt? If you have a thought, give us a call. 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. All right. Now, let, let's go back to the story, Jonathan. It's, a, again, this tragic story about this woman who, who actually who hits this child and kills him. Uh, he just runs out in front of her car. She wasn't doing anything wrong or bad, and she, and, and she kills the boy. So let's just go back and, and drop in on that story now that we're talking about dealing with guilt and shame. I immediately slammed on the brakes and can remember thinking to myself, what, what just happened? 
I get out of my car, run over to Stuart. I remember as I walked up to him, so the whole lower half of his body had been turned around. His arms were just kind of out to the side and his, his face was bruised. I remember yelling at him to get up. Can you even imagine putting yourself into that position, even for a moment? No. And the grief and the anguish and the anxiety and the sorrow and the helplessness. It, you, you feel all of those things, and you're yelling at the child to get up. And it, I mean, his body is just a twisted pile of broken humanity. That's all it is. That's all that's left. I mean, there, there's no hope. There is no hope in that moment. And that's where guilt and shame set in. They begin their work. Now, it can be a good work, or it can be a nasty, debilitating work. Which mm. will it be? Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And if you have any questions on our subject, give us a call or ask your questions at ChristianQuestions.net or go to our Facebook or email us at Rick at ChristianQuestions.net. So many ways to get in touch. We can't wait to hear from you. So, Jonathan, let's go back to this recipe for guilt and shame-free living. The first ingredient was, was conviction. conviction. Yeah. Truly owning what you have done. Right. The second ingredient is confession. And look, these are not necessarily in order of you got to have conviction before you oh. have confession. Okay. These are just ingredients. All right. Okay, so our second ingredient is confession. Let's go back to Psalm 51. This is the psalm from King David after he sinned tremendously with the whole Bathsheba incident. Psalm 51, 4 to 5. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So here he has he is convicted by his sin. That was what he did at the beginning, but here he is confessing his sin. And he's talking to God and he says, I have sinned against you. That's it. There's nothing else to say. There's no place to hide. This is what I did. And he's talking to God. That's a powerful powerful part of of putting guilt and shame in their proper place and for us we enter the forgiving power of jesus here in first john uh, i'm sorry first john 1 7 through 9 but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin if we say that we have no sin we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's interesting, Jonathan, in this scripture, you think it's just a, a coincidence that it's, it mentions forgiveness and cleansing several times? No. Because we are creatures of needing to hear things over and over and over and over again. To really get it, to really understand it. So not only are we forgiven, but we're cleansed from our unrighteousness. But we have to bring the sin to God through Jesus. We have to in order to be able to put guilt and shame in the right place. Let's go back to another soundbite from uh, Brene Brown. Uh, she's giving a TED talk, uh, and she's talking about uh, the antidote for shame. And this is, this is powerful because there's one thing about confessing to God, mm-hmm. but there's another thing about talking to people around you for, for the support that you need. So, so listen to this. If we're going to find our way back to each other, we have to understand 
and no empathy, because empathy is the antidote to shame. If you put shame in a petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in a petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. The two most powerful words when we're in struggle, me too. And so I'll leave you with this thought. If we're going to find our way back to each other, vulnerability is going to be that path. Again, she says some very profound things here. Shame will thrive. It will grow exponentially uh, in the context of secrecy, silence, and judgment. It festers. It grows there. Because you rehearse it over and over and over and over again in your mind. But if you douse your shame with empathy, so you're talking to somebody, talking to a friend, and that friend hears what you're saying, and that friend says, well, maybe I haven't done exactly what you've done, but me too. I've done that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Empathy douses the growth of shame. So it's just not me. Right. Exactly. 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 So part of being able to deal with guilt and shame is to be able to talk about it, not only to God. But to get that mutual building up uh, in, in dealing with such a difficult subject. Vulnerability is hard. Yes, and that's what exactly what happens here. You have to become vulnerable. So we of all people should be tuned into the Me Too empathy that provides hope in the darkness of guilt and shame. Romans 15.1. Now we who are strong ought to bear weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. So that's talking about getting involved in each other's lives. In Galatians 6.2, everybody knows. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So these are the things that we need to put in place in terms of the confession to get the mutual support as well as to confess things before God as part of the recipe for guilt and shame-free living. That's what we're talking about here, folks. The importance of knowing guilt and shame have a place, and they work, and they're valuable to us. But when we allow them to fester and grow in darkness, they become a black hole, and it just sucks us in, and oftentimes we never come out. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, how do we manage guilt? Coming up... What if we can't forgive ourselves for sins in our past? What about forgiveness through Jesus? Do you believe it? I mean, do you really believe it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, how do we manage guilt? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And Jonathan, this is, uh, the more we talk about it, the more I, I, it, just, it just occurs to me how important this subject is because we carry guilt and shame needlessly many, many times in our lives. And then sometimes we don't carry it enough. Good point. So it really comes down to how do you get a balance on something like this? Dr. Kenneth Wapnick said that sins of the past equal guilt for the present, which equal fear in the future. That's if you're carrying guilt. And that's not a good place to be. Proverbs 28, 13 and 14. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart 
will fall into calamity. See, so here you see it. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but if you confess and forsake them, you find compassion. You have to be willing to leave them behind once they're supposed to be left behind. But the natural tendency, Rick, for human nature is to harden our hearts uh, against forgiveness. It absolutely is, and what a shame that is. You know, no pun intended there, but what a shame that is that we do that. We harden our hearts against the forgiveness uh, by only focusing on our transgressions. And, and you know, Jonathan, that really is a it, it's a it's a it's a picture of pride because we're focusing. It's all about me. It's all about mm-hmm. what I did, and somehow what I did is bigger than what Jesus forgave me for. Oh. Yeah, think about that's, that. That's rough. And, and speaking of that, the, the twisted perception of that. Let's go back to this, um, to, to this this tragic event that we're talking about with this woman who hit the child, and uh, just listen to the next part of her story. Stewart's parents contacted my family and asked us if we would like to attend the funeral. It was an open casket. My father was almost pushing me. I can remember being very reluctant and almost holding my arms out and dragging my feet. And as I saw him, I can remember how beautiful of a boy he was. And he looked very peaceful. It was just a flood of emotions. And I started screaming, and my dad walked me outside. This accident has impacted my life in in just about every way possible. So you could hear that the family was obviously trying to say, okay, we understand it was purely an accident. You couldn't control it. Come. Yeah, come. Grieve with with us. Find closure. Right, exactly. So so the family, and she just is so over, and you can't blame her. She's just so incredibly, incredibly overwhelmed by this thing. Um, Jonathan, before we go to the phones, let's just do this next thought, okay, because this is important. Shame and guilt are, should be, necessary pit stops in the race of our lives, but should never, ever, under any circumstances, be our home address. I like that. I like that a lot. Say it, we we got to repeat that again. Okay. It's important. Okay. Shame and guilt are, and should be, necessary pit stops in the race of our lives, but should never, under any circumstances, be our home address. And when you think about that, uh, it, it comes down to what do you have the most faith in? your shame and guilt, or the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're going to get into what it means to ask for forgiveness and, and to be forgiven and to, to make up for things and all of that in, yes. in, in the next hour. Um, but quickly, Romans 8, 6, and 7. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It's not able to do so because it's set on the flesh. It's set on me, 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 me. And it's not set on God, which releases us from the shame and guilt of me, me, me. All right, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. And Rick, the, the saying you just quoted, uh, it's so powerful because, see, I would, uh, I would add to that, uh, to complement it, if you trace it, uh, you analyze it, it always, their home address, it can be self-pity. Yes. we got to get out of that uh, syndrome of self-pity. How do we cope with guilt? Well, uh, number one, remorse is, is a good thing. I think remote, that's part of it. Number two, rectify, correct the wrong, and uh, try to compensate. Uh, guilt 
naturally uh, connects to conscience. And uh, don't hide. You know, don't, don't fall into that trap. Remember the marvelous saying, which I'm sure you've, you've seen it, you've read it, you've said it before. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Now, uh, a sinful David, you will, it's hard to, you know, to talk about guilt and so forth without talking about uh, King David, you know, right. his foolishness. But uh, a sinful David going to the uh, idea of hiding something, uh, God punished him in Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. There he, he punished David, his punishment, a series of punishments upon him. He says, you did it in secret, you hid it, but I'm going to expose you in public. That was a tough thing that uh, he yes. really paid for his sins. And uh, one final thing, uh, prayer can be a great medicine, a great antidote in this situation. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. And I think Julius may have looked at our notes for the second hour, because a lot of things he talked about are things that we're going to exactly focus on in the second hour. We're really exposing guilt and shame for how they can be positive things and how they so often are negative things in our lives. Uh, not only negative, but debilitatingly negative things in our lives. And in the second hour, we're going to be talking about okay, the how-to of getting through guilt and shame. So, Julius, thanks so much for all of that. And self, self-pity should not be our home address. I like that. Very, very, very well <laughs> yeah. said. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to the next soundbite. Well, before we do, oh, you okay. have a personal story that you want to share well, with us. Well, you know, and, and it's, it's about trusting, truly trusting in the forgiveness of Jesus. Yes, because which is know, not easy. We can say, yes, I know Jesus forgives me, but... And, again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.net. A couple weekends ago, when, when Trish and I uh, w- went away, I wasn't here, and David Stein took my place. Yes. Um, w- one of the things we actually did was we went ziplining. I've never done that. That is the coolest thing ever. But, you know, here's the thing. If you picture the forgiveness of Jesus like the harness they put you in, okay, you're in this harness that's attached to the cable. And because you're on, the, you're, you're on this platform, you're like 50, 60 feet above the ground, okay, amongst the treetops. Uh-huh. And in front of you is a line, a cable that's like, oh, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 feet long. And you're supposed to leap off the, 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 the platform and be hanging on this cable to go zooming down, you know, this 500 to 1,000 feet. Think about the, 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 the harness as the forgiveness of Jesus. Are you willing to leap off of the, the safety of your own guilt and shame into just the forgiveness of Jesus and leave the guilt and shame behind? That's total. To- that's that's total, total faith. That's total. Because nothing is holding you up right. except for that harness. And what a great ride it is, I'll tell you. And what a great picture that is. So it helps us to understand and put it in perspective that that's how we put guilt and shame where they belong if we truly believe in that forgiveness. So that's, that's my All story, right, and I'm sticking you. to it. What an <laughs> incredible experience that was. Anyway, let's go down, back to uh, Brene Brown, uh, Listening to Shame, uh, her TED Talk. Uh, and she's talking about shame in women versus shame in men. And again, this is a very important observation as to how it often works in daily life. For women, shame is do it all, do it perfectly, and never let them see you sweat. 
I don't know how much perfume that commercial sold, but I guarantee you it moved a lot of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. Shame for women is this web of unattainable, conflicting, competing expectations about who we're supposed to be. And it's a straitjacket. For men, shame is not a bunch of competing, conflicting expectations. Shame is one. Do not be perceived as what? Weak. So it gives you a sense that, you know, gender-wise, shame is driven by different kinds of things. Wow. And so we have to be aware of who we are, what we are worried about, what brings us to shame unnecessarily so we can avoid getting involved in all of that. And again, being vulnerable, like she said, we're going to be talking about that more in the second hour, is a big part of just putting shame and guilt uh, in their proper perspective. So, so Jonathan, as we move forward in this, we talk, we're talking about our recipe for a guilt and shame-free life. Yes. And the first ingredient was conviction, owning your, what you've done. The second, confession. Confessing, confessing to God especially to God and to others, what you have done. And the third ingredient, and these are in no particular order, is a contrite heart. And Psalm 51, again, back to King David, Psalm 51, 6 through 8, shows us the contriteness of his own heart. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with the hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. You can hear the brokenness of his spirit, asking for God to 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 just do whatever is necessary so that he could be restored. Be made whole. Right, because he knows he's broken. Yes. And that's good. We we need to know that we're broken so that we can allow ourselves to be put in the in the line for repair in the hands of God. Mm. And that, you know what, if you stay in guilt and shame, you're not in the hands of God to be repaired. You're in the hands of Satan to be further broken. Oh, good point. And we just need to keep these things uh, in perspective. Um, it, 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 it's important. Jonathan, um, we, we're going to be short on time here, so I want to go down to the next soundbite, uh, last soundbite for this woman, the story, uh, the tragic story of the accident that she was in where she, she ended up killing a child purely by accident. And just listen to the sorrow in, in this. Since the accident, I fear that the people I love will be affected or will die. I worry about Maddox. He is just a year old now. And I fear that something like this could happen to him as well. I put all my efforts into keeping Maddox safe. I have a baby monitor that I watch constantly. I check on him three, four, five times a night. I'm very cautious about where I take him, who touches him, where he goes. I live with a lot of guilt from the accident because Stuart's life was taken that I need to spend the rest of my life paying for that. And those last words, Jonathan, to me were, were key. She says she needs to spend the rest of her life paying for that. And she lives in fear that something tragic will happen to her, her child because she deserves it. That's her thinking. Oh, how sad. And it is, it is a, a classic tragedy of a, of, a, of a horrible experience that you just never get out of. And she's not allowing herself to grow through it. She just continues to repeat the tape of the shame that she... And look, she did, it was an awful thing, but it was an accident. 
And we need to put ourselves in the right perspective. Folks, look, in the second hour, we're getting into the practicality of how to deal with all of these things. And what do you do? So if we're not on in your area in the second hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com or ChristianQuestions.net. Hit the Listen Live button so you can stay with us because Christian Questions continues live online uh, for the second hour in your area. If we're not on, if we are, just stay with us. But, Jonathan, just very quickly, Matthew 12, 20 and 21. What a great promise this is. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So God, through Jesus, will take care of us. He understands the pain and the suffering and the guilt and the shame that we bear. And we can put those things in perspective if we allow Jesus into our lives truly as Lord and Master, not with lip service, but truly in our hearts and in our minds as Lord and Master. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, it says, these are Jesus' words. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is saying, I understand, I understand, and the power of forgiveness is in my hand. Let me give it to you and then show you how to live a life forgiven and in the second hour folks that's exactly what we're going to be talking about living a life forgiven for jonathan and rick it's christian questions this is an immensely important subject so please 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 stay with us leave your comments on facebook and and let us know what you think how do we manage guilt and shame we'll be back after the news and all of that but till then think about it Christian questions. Somebody once said, guilt is regret for what we've done. Regret is guilt for what we didn't do. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that topic this morning? We have got one of those big, big, big subjects. It really is, Rick. Our question is, how do we manage guilt? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. So we're looking at guilt, and we're looking, actually, we're looking at guilt and shame. And again, just to, to just do a quick recap, guilt is you know the sense of something that we've done. We're guilty for what we've done. Shame is feeling bad for what we what we are. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Yeah. so sometimes we have done something in our past that we're guilty of, and it becomes who we are from that day forward. I liked what you said in the first hour, Rick. Shame is guilt on steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is because we adopt the guilt as our person, as who we are, and that then we live in shame, and that is the most debilitating way 
anybody can live. And shame is directly correlated, we learned in the first hour, to all kinds of very, very seriously destructive, addictive behaviors. That's right. And, Rick, I believe it's a tool of Satan oh, yeah. to prevent us from being a faithful Christian in our lives. Yes, there, there, there's no, no doubt about that. It is, it is a tool, and it's one of the tools that he's got to oil up a lot because he uses it all the time. He does. So uh, in the first hour, we were talking about uh, the recipe for a guilt and shame-free life. And remember, there were three ingredients we, we touched on in the first hour. Uh, one was conviction. Right. Two was confession. And the third was a contrite heart. Now, again, these are not things in, in any necessary order. The point is, grab a hold of one of them, and you can have access to the rest of them. Good point. When you, to, to build this guilt and shame-free life. But one of the key points was focusing on the forgiveness of Jesus as the, the, the focal point of our life rather than what we've done. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of brings you up to speed if you're just joining us in, in the second hour. And, folks, if you do have a thought, uh, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com or ChristianQuestions.net. All right, so Jonathan, let's get to it now. What's the difference between feeling guilty and being guilty? Just because we feel guilty, does that mean we are guilty? And just because we don't feel guilty, does that mean we're not? Well, isn't (laughs) guilt a marker for us to help us? It should be. And properly used, it is. But so often, it ends up becoming a home address, as we we talk. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that quote again later on. But this following text in Philippians uh, presents us with a contrast between earthly and heavenly ambition. One leads to shame, and the other leads to glory. I don't know. You pick. (laughs) (laughs) I hope the second. (laughs) Okay. Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who sets their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So the first half of the scripture is about those whose end is destruction because they are not walking after the, um, the, the, the precepts of Christ, but they are claiming the name of Christ. Right. So they're, they're not only being hurtful to themselves, they're being hurtful to others in, in, in creating a deceitful path, and their glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things, versus living a life where your citizenship is in heaven and you are working toward working away from all of the earthly stuff you shouldn't be carrying anymore. You know, it's like it's like boarding an airplane, Jonathan, and you know, you're only supposed to have one carry-on, right. and you've got four or five, and say, but I need all of these things. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> and that's what guilt and shame, they need to be left behind so you can go to where you need to go. Good. But now, Jonathan, here's a graphic, clear example of being guilty, this next soundbite. This is, and I, you know, I hesitated to even use this, but I thought, you know what, it, it, it makes the point. This is a part of an interview several years ago with Charles Manson. Now, everybody knows the name. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows the things that he's done. Listen, listen to his response and his attitude here. It's clear that you were guilty of murder, and yet he says in all his conversations with you, he never heard you express remorse. Have you never felt it? 
Remorse for what? You people have done everything in the world to me. Doesn't that give me equal right? I can do anything I want to you people at any time I want to because that's what you've done to me. There's no need to feel guilty. I haven't done anything I'm ashamed of. There you have it. Whoa. So there's a, an example. And, Jonathan, the, the, the strange thing is how we, we twist things around. Those of us who shouldn't carry guilt do. And those of us who should don't. sometimes don't. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a dramatic example of one who should, who doesn't. And, and so you think about that and you say, man, it's all twisted up. Right, but let's not carry the guilt that he should carry if it's not something we ought to be carrying. It, if it doesn't truly belong to you because you've given it away to Christ, then it's not yours to take back. You know, no backsies, you know, when you're a little kid. <laughs> you, you, you give it, you can't, you can't get it back. So let's get back to our recipe for uh, a guilt and shame-free living. We had conviction, confession, and contrite heart were the first three ingredients. What's next? Pray for mercy. And Julius actually mentioned that in his comment uh, in, the, in the first hour. Prayer is such an important thing. And here, here's in Psalm 51. Again, we go back to King David and his experience. We're getting all of these ingredients out of his writing and putting in perspective what he had done and how he had found his way to being able to live without the guilt and the shame. Psalm 51, 9, and th- uh, 9 through 12. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. So he is praying that God will restore him. He's asking, he's pleading, he's begging, because he knows that what he did was so very incredibly, utterly, completely, totally wrong. Yes. So he had that, he had the conviction. He knew he was wrong. He confessed it. He had the broken heart. And now he's praying to God, show me what to do to get back in favor. What a great great example of how to get to a point where we can make guilt and shame be positive factors in our life. To move us ahead, move us forward. Right. Not the negative black hole syndrome that brings us down and and destroys a life. So pray for mercy. Absolutely. Folks, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you have more to say after the program, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. And don't forget, Seek Your Rewind uh, at ChristianQuestions.net or ChristianQuestions.com. You want to sign up for the full edition, Jonathan. There's loads of stuff in there, especially with a subject like this. You mentioned it in the first hour. You need to get the scriptures in front of you. You do. You need to see the reasoning in front of you. Every week you get the email, you get graphics, illustrations, all the scriptures. It's a fantastic service. It's a practical way to truly apply the things that you hear. You say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then what do you do? You forget it the next week? Exactly. This is a way to help you not forget. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> ChristianQuestions.net. Seek your rewind. The full edition. Sign up. It's free. Uh, it, it takes God's mercy and love to 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 engage in that praying for mercy. Because, you know, we have to believe in the mercy and love of God. Ephesians four twenty-one to 24. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in the reference to your former manner of life, 
You lay aside the old self. See, see, right there. You lay it aside. Which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. See, you lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Shame and guilt carried unnecessarily are the lust of deceit. Yes. They take us, they twist us, they turn us, they change our perspective, they change our thinking, and they ruin us. But be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's got to start there. Right. And you have, we have to make the effort to put one aside and mm-hmm. replace it with the other. Yes. Just like that zip lining story. Be willing to jump off that platform. I, I mean, believe. To leap off and know that the harness, the forgiveness of God through Jesus will catch you. And then you're in for a great ride. <laughs> I'm I telling you, it. you're in for a great ride after that. Jonathan, you, let's go to another soundbite. This is um, from uh, Real Faith TV. Uh, this is young people talking about guilt and shame, and it, it's interesting, some of the things that they feel guilty about. I feel guilty when like, I talk about somebody else. I have chosen my friends over my family a lot, and that definitely makes me feel guilty. There's a lot of things that I've done, but you can't take them back, and you just have to learn from your mistakes and move forward. I'm really mean to my parents. Something that makes me uh, feel guilty in my life. Uh, would be lying to my parents. Just as you said, lie to your parents. <laughs> so I try not to. So it's it's all the same thing. You notice how many things are revolving around their parents? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and they feel guilty. The question is, okay, great. It's good to feel guilty for things like that. Here's my question. What do you do about it? Do you allow that feeling of guilt to create a boundary? Remember we were talking about that? That that's the way guilt should be in our lives. Guilt and shame should create boundaries so we know, hey, can't go there anymore because it's not a good place. Or is it just a, yeah, I feel guilty, but I do it anyway. Then you don't really feel guilty. There you go. You know, you're not allowing guilt to to play a constructive role in your life. And and again, Jonathan, I want to go back to that quote from the first hour we were talking about because you had mentioned it. Shame and guilt are, should, be necessary pit stops in the race of our lives, but should never, ever, under any circumstances, be our home address. If you're a Christian, guilt and shame, they're a pit stop. They're they're a place to refuel, to to set yourself up to move forward. A lesson to learn from. Right. But then you move on. Mm -hmm. You move out of the pit stop. You don't stay there and say, oh, I like it here. Right. No, you don't like it there. It's full of oil and grease and yuck. Okay, so move away. Move away from the pit stop. Move <laughs> on to your life. That's the way it's supposed to be. And, and, you know, we haven't even mentioned our theme text yet. No, we haven't. And here, at this point in our conversation, this is where the theme text comes into play. As we deal with the experiences of our lives, it's important to see those experiences through the eyes of the righteousness of Christ. It's then that we have the strength to follow on uh, with, with this model. So go, go back to the, the theme text, Proverbs twenty four sixteen. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Okay, now go to Psalm thirty four nineteen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So falling, we can, if, we, if we allow guilt to run our lives... Mm-hmm. We fall, we're not going to get up. That's right. And, but this is saying a righteous man falls seven times and rises again because he's showing the righteousness in Christ for a Christian. And one last scripture before we end this segment. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. 
Because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. So, it, again, it's like going on that zip line, knowing that you're not only going to in, be in for a great ride, but you're not going to be out of control. Right. So it's a matter of putting it all in perspective. So being guilty, feeling guilty, we've got to put it all where it belongs. But the important thing is making sure that Christ's righteousness is ruling our lives, not our guilt. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, how do we manage guilt? Coming up, is it possible to fix your mistakes after time goes by? Some you can't, but would you? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, how do we manage guilt? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, uh, as we go through the subject, again, I want to remind uh, our listeners that the reason we're doing this is one of our listeners wrote in with this very question, uh, dealing with guilt from experiences in her past life and, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And it was such a provoking question that we thought it should be answered uh, on the air. And so, folks, feel free to write in. Let us know what you're thinking because that really helps us produce a better program. Uh, ChristianQuestions.net. You can go to Facebook and leave your comments. You can email us at Rick, R-A-C-K, at ChristianQuestions.net. Lots of ways to get in touch with us, but we're really encouraging you to do that because that really, really helps us. So what do we do, Jonathan, now to make our guilt or shame right? All right? Great. You feel – no, not great, but <laughs> – well, it could be great because it could be a, 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 st- a stepping stone. You feel guilty. You feel shame. What do you do about it? Let's go to – this was, it was kind of a, a different approach. This was J.J. the life coach okay. talking about defining guilt uh, and remorse. Let's listen. Instead of feeling guilty about things, I've shifted it now into remorse. Remorse is the agent of change. Guilt That doesn't work for you. That just makes you stay stuck, keeps you replaying things, ruminating, keeps you in that caveman brain I've talked about this whole time. But remorse, remorse is when you can really honestly feel sadness over something and decide how you want to make amends and and how you want to change things. And And that's a great, great explanation of how to put it in perspective. You want to put yourself in a position where you say, okay, this is what I have done. Now what do I do to fix it? And Julius earlier um, relayed this thought of remorse, how important that is for this subject. And interestingly enough, the next ingredient in our recipe for guilt and shame-free living is... Putting the pieces you broke back together. So it requires reconstruction. Yes, some assembly required. I mean, that's really <laughs> what we're saying here. And again, you go back to Psalm 51, 13 to 16. Now look, and, and sometimes you can't put the pieces back together. That's true. So you have to do something that is equivalent to putting the pieces back together. Or try. Right, right, exactly. Psalm 51, 13 to 16. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. 
For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. So it's interesting. He's saying, David is saying, I could make sacrifice after sacrifice to you to say I'm sorry, but that's not what you want from me. No. You want my heart. That's it. You want my heart to be focused. And David... He's saying, can I fix this? How can I fix right. this? And the problem was he couldn't fix what he broke. No, he couldn't. He took a man's life. And he committed adultery. Right. So he had broken things that were irreparable. In life. So what could he do? Well, it says, once I put myself back into a God-honoring way of being, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Because I'm going to take my experience and show them how wrong I was to show them how right you are, God. So while he couldn't fix what he had broken, he did the very next best thing. And he dedicated himself to moving forward in righteousness. So he paid it forward. Exactly. So when you can't fix what you broke, you pay it forward. And that was a great movie. That was. Very sad, but it was a great, great movie. Now, sometimes we can fix what we broke. And interestingly, the scriptures give us examples. It's, It's great because, you know, when you look at the Bible, it's real. It gives you real life examples of real people. And real mistakes. Real, I mean, some really big mistakes, just like we were dealing with with King David here. Zacchaeus was a man who was also full of sin. But let's listen to how he was able to fix what he broke. Luke 19, 5 to 10. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? So right there you have the introduction. Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is. He climbs a tree because he's so intent on seeing Jesus. Because he's short. He's short. I understand that. He's short. (laughs) He can't see uh, above everybody else because he's like up to their shoulders. And that's frustrating. It really is. (laughs) So he climbs a tree because he is so intent because he's drawn to the righteousness and love of Jesus. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone in anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So that is great news. Zacchaeus's heart was, look, if I've defrauded anybody, I will not only give them back what I took from them uh, illegally. I'll give more. I'll give four times. He could fix it. And he set his heart and mind to fix it. And that is why Jesus saw in him the kind of person he wanted to make an example of. Here was a man who was guilty and yet didn't want to stay living in the guilt. And so Jesus saw that and just drew him towards him, and Zacchaeus jumped all over that. He just leapt off that platform onto that, in that harness of Jesus' forgiveness with, with, with abandon. He just was excited. Jesus knew his potential. Right, because Jesus knew that he didn't want to stay where he was. Yes. And that's the key, having the ability to put back and fix the pieces that we broke. And if you can't fix them, then you pay it forward. You find a way to make recompense for the things that we've done. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on 
right now. Well, studying the Bible and talking about today's Christian topics, go to ChristianQuestions.com for audio, video, CQ Rewind, and other free resources that no one else has on the planet. All programs are recorded and archived online. Check them out, ChristianQuestions.net. And CQ Rewind, I'm telling you, is a great, great service. It's there. It's available for you. It's a free service. You sign up at ChristianQuestions.net or .com and uh, give yourself the ability to not only hear the program, but to see it, to see the scriptures, to see the commentary, so it can make a lasting impact. It's great to hear it once. Yeah. But we're leaky vessels. That's right. It's better to have it ruminate inside of your heart so it can actually help you make the change that you so desperately want to make. So, ChristianQuestions.net, one last time. Jonathan, we we touched on it earlier in the program, but the secret for being courageous enough to work to fix things really is lies in humility, which brings us to being able to be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is just not comfortable. No, it's not. Because it's like you're, you're exposed and everybody can see who you really are. And see that you're not perfect and that you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody likes that. No, they don't. But if we are to get rid of the guilt and shame that we carry with us unnecessarily... Vulnerability is a key, key factor in that. And we're going to go back to Brene Brown again from her TED Talk. Uh, and she talks about vulnerability as the birthplace for many of the great things that humans can do. And this, she is very profound in everything that she says. So, so listen to this. That vulnerability is our most accurate measurement of courage. To be vulnerable, to let ourselves be seen, to be honest. One of the weird things that's happened is after the TED explosion, um, I got a lot of offers to speak all over the country. Um, Everyone from schools and parent meetings to Fortune 500 companies. um, And so many of the calls went like this. Hey, Dr. Brown, we loved your TED Talk. We'd like you to come in and speak. We'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mention vulnerability or shame. What would you like for me to talk about? There's three big answers. This is mostly to be honest with you, from the business sector. Innovation, creativity, and change. So let me go on the record and say, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. Wow. (laughs) It it, it just puts it in perspective because she, she became famous overnight. She didn't mean to. Okay, she gives this TED Talk, and literally what happens, it goes online, and she gets like 2 million people watch it. And so now she, they want her to speak at all these places because she makes so much incredible sense. And these corporations want her to come in, but, oh, please don't talk about that vulnerability stuff. Rather, why don't you talk about innovation, creativity, and change? Yeah, those are things we want to hear about. And what's her response? You can't do those without vulnerability. That's the birthplace. So get real. Here's what it's about. That's why you liked what I said because I talked about truth that's hard to hear. If you're not vulnerable, you have no courage. Isn't that something? Because that really helps us to, 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 to see it for what it really is supposed to be. So we must, therefore, in dealing with our guilt and our shame, be willing to be vulnerable. Second Corinthians 4, uh, 1 through 2. And folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now therefore since we have this ministry as we've received mercy 
We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. See, it's... The scriptures tell us the answers. You know, we've been talking about, okay, vulnerability, and, you know, when in the darkness, you know, and all the psychologists are telling us, you know, it's in the darkness, that's where shame, you know, has its greatest work. This is what this scripture says right here. It does. (laughs) We have renounced the things hidden because of shame. That's using shame the right way. Yes. It's saying shame is a marker. It's a place, it's a border. It's a boundary that tells us don't go there. So now we have renounced those things. Yeah, and not walking in craftiness. Um, you know, we're not deceiving. We're being, be honest. Be honest. Right, right. And and we're stepping above and away from yes. shame and guilt. That's step, right. Step away from the shame, sir. Step away from the guilt. <laughs> because that's, you don't belong there. If you are in Christ and you have accepted forgiveness for your sin, you've confessed your sins and you've worked at trying to make them right. And look, sometimes, Jonathan, we can try, but we fail. Yes. But God measures the efforts of our heart. He doesn't measure our results. Thank God Thank for that. I was just going to say that. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and, he, and we don't have to live with that junk in our hearts and our minds. There's a way out if we're willing to take it. And that's why putting the pieces of your, that you broke back together is one of the pieces of the recipe for a, a guilt and shame-free life is so important. Rick, pride can hold us back, but humility can move us forward. And so often we get that backwards because we think that, well, you know, if I if I step beyond this shame of this thing that I've committed, it would be awful prideful for me to do that. No, it's actually the reverse. It's awful prideful for you to stay there because you're you're thinking about me. I'm thinking about this is what I did. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. When stepping forward is it's all about Jesus. Yes, because we're relying on the harness of his forgiveness to carry us. So that is humility, truly, even though sometimes you look at it and say, well, I can't do that because I would be prideful. No, you're backwards. Satan's got you turned around. He's got you reading in a mirror. Have you ever tried to read in a mirror? It's all backwards. It makes no sense. Vulnerability, Jonathan, at its best, both in this example on the part of Ananias and Saul. This is a great example of being vulnerable. Remember we talked earlier, Saul uh, was was converted on the road. That's right. He was persecuting the Christians. Right. So and the now, Lord stopped him in his tracks? St- literally stopped him in his tracks and blinded him because he was blind. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 9. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias is worried about going to the apostle Paul as Saul, because Saul was on his way to take Ananias captive. That's right. So He's his enemy. Right. So he says, God, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me <laughs> to go see the guy who I'm hiding from right now. Because he's the enemy. Do you need me to inform you about yeah. this guy, Lord? You sure you've got the right Saul of Tarsus? And, 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 and Jesus' response actually here is he's speaking with Jesus. Jesus' response is, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. So Jesus gives Ananias a response. And what does Ananias do? Let's finish the verses. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul... 
the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he is vulnerable. And he steps out and he steps forward. And he not only greets Saul, he calls him brother. Wow. So he... Embraced. He embraced what Jesus said. And that's the same principle as us embracing the forgiveness for our guilt and our shame. If we don't embrace them, we're missing out. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, how do we manage guilt? Coming up, do you believe the idea that you can't sin after receiving Christ? Don't mean to step on anyone's toes, but if the Apostle Paul didn't, should you? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, how do we manage guilt? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, in the last segment, we talked about fixing the pieces that we broke. That's right. Putting back, putting back together the pieces that we broke. And if you can't, because they're broken beyond repair, and sometimes that happens, then pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Find a way to make recompense for what we have done. And that's one of the absolute keys for being able to put shame and guilt as simply borders and boundaries in our lives and not what dictate our lives. Good point. So again, folks, if you have a thought, we are getting a little bit shy on time. It's 866-985-4255. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Jonathan, Psalm 34:18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That is such a good way to put it. He's near the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that what shame does? It does. It crushes us. And here you have a scriptural promise that says, God is near. You don't have to worry. But you have to apply yourself to finding him. So it's not like you're just going to be miraculously, you know, airlifted out of your guilt and your shame. Right. You have to do things to help yourself be airlifted out. And Rick, the question uh, on this segment, what does it look like when we truly live forgiven? And that is really how we want to end this up. Yeah. We we want to end right right. there mentally. How do you live Uh, forgiven? Well, let's go through some of the process. Let's go back to John Bradshaw, and he's talking about, well, here's the way out of guilt and shame. So, uh, next soundbite. The only way out is through. The only way out. In order to heal the pain, you have to embrace the pain. That's the great paradox. Although it's something all the religious masters have said. Buddha's first noble truth was that life is suffering. Jesus said there's no resurrection without crucifixion. Uh, The Israelites were in bondage in Egypt before they went to the promised land. See, I don't know why the world's that way. I'd have saved the world with tennis and golf and nice meals myself, but it uh, doesn't seem to be that way. It seems to be that, that you've got to be willing to come out of hiding. So the only way out is through. Face it. Embrace the pain. And I always think, whenever I hear that phrase, I always think of my, my son is in the Coast Guard, and when he was going through boot camp, uh, they were not allowed to make phone calls, but he could write letters. And he and I wrote several letters back and forth for that six weeks. 
and it was an incredibly painful experience on every level you can imagine. And he embraced the pain. He did. He learned to embrace it. And he came out of there. He, I'm telling you, Jonathan, he went in a boy, and he did come out a man. It, wow. it was an incredible transformation because he was put to the test, and he embraced it. And that's the kind of thing we have to be willing to do in dealing with our guilt and our shame. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. Jesus 310. I'm, I'm sorry. G- Gen- we have Genesis 310. He answered, I heard you in the garden. But I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. The author Jeremy Rifkin defines guilt and shame thusly. Guilt can trigger the desire to reach out and make amends, but shame denigrates a person's being, makes them feel worthless and inhuman. Jesus calls us not to what we have done, but who we can be. John 8:10. Jesus said to her, Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. When we shame someone, especially a child, we deny their humanity in Christ. A little bit of healthy guilt, on the other hand, calls us to action. It calls us to choices. That is the love that Jesus offers. John 8, 11. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, do not sin anymore. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. It, 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 he he reminds me of the old the old army commercial be all you can be <laughs> but there's something yes. to be said for that phrase in the context of our christianity and it was a great scripture in genesis that you had alluded to uh, earlier in the program that we want to hide ourselves from god when we feel guilty or we feel shame yes but what we need to do is present ourselves to god when we feel guilty and feel shame because that's the way to remedy it that's the beginning of learning how to live forgiven. Hebrews, Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Hebrews 12, uh, 11 to 13. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. So the scripture is talking about the disciplines that we have in our lives are not fun, but they teach us. Yes. Jonathan, they only teach us if we allow them to teach us the lesson. That's right. You can go through the whole boot camp type experiences, experiences in your life and not learn a thing. You're right. Or we can learn from them and let them move us forward. That's what living forgiven is. It's it's resting in the harness of the forgiveness of Jesus. So it brings us to our last ingredient for a recipe for guilt and shame-free living. What is it? It's passionate faith. Not just faith? Passionate faith. Not just faith. No. Right. Passionate faith. Passionate faith. Let's go back to Psalm 51, King David. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise, but your favor... Do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifice, in burnt offerings, and in whole burnt offerings. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. So he's almost—he's excited here. He's like almost like a child saying, I want to do this, I want to do that. I want to express my faith in what I do and how I live now that I have put all of my sins and guilt before you and relied entirely on you, God, to guide and direct me. 
That's passionate faith. That is. That's what he wants. David felt the dark misery of having sin and having lived in the shame and guilt of sin, and it almost cost him his life. Once he came back to God with a clean and contrite heart, he could now begin to praise God with acceptable sacrifices, but he had to come back first. David knew praise would not reach God otherwise. So, again, you can put the sacrifices out and say, oh, God, this is for you, this is for you, this is for you. But if you are still in the wrong place, those are not acceptable. They don't count. Right. You have to put yourself in the right place. First Samuel fifteen twenty-two. See, David would have known that from the example of Saul, the king who was king just before him. You're right. Because here's how Saul felt. First Samuel fifteen twenty-two. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Now remember what King Saul did is he was supposed to wait for Samuel before they went out to a battle. That's right. But he went anyway. He did. And Samuel shows up later, and Saul is uh, like, you know, saying, well, you know, we, we did this. But we saved all the best things for God. Yeah. We, we did the sacrifices because you weren't on time. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Careful what you say to a prophet of God, incidentally. Just a, just a, just a little bit of a, of a heads up there. But, but David would have known that obedience was the key thing because that is what caused the king before him to fall. So he would have understood that. And you can see that in Psalm 51. He's saying... I, I understand what I need to do, and I'm doing it. I'm paying it forward because I can't fix what I broke. Right. But I'm paying it forward with passionate, passionate faith. And, and Jonathan, again, it requires being vulnerable. It requires putting ourselves out in a way that maybe we don't want to be comfortable doing, but it requires us to do that. The last quote from Brene Brown in her TED Talk. She quotes Theodore Roosevelt in this. This is a powerful powerful quote. It's called The Man in the Arena. There's a great quote that saved me this past year by Theodore Roosevelt. Um, A lot of people refer to it as the man in the arena quote. And it goes like this. It is not the critic who counts. It is not the man who sits and points out how the doer of deeds could have done things better and how he falls and stumbles. The credit goes to the man in the arena whose face is marred with dust and blood and sweat, but when he's in the arena at best, he wins, and at worst he loses, but when he fails, when he loses, he does so daring greatly. That just sums it up, because it puts the passionate faith we're talking about right in perspective. It, It helps us to grasp the whole picture of what this is and what this means in terms of dealing with our, 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 our guilt and our shame. You have to be willing to be in the arena. And there's no guarantee that when you're in the arena, you're going to win. That's right. There's no guarantee that you're going to come out a victor. But it says, but and, and it doesn't matter what the critic says about the man in the arena. Like, oh, well, he should have done this. He could have done, you know, the Monday morning quarterback. Mm-hmm. Well, if I were out there, here's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if you were out there, you would have run is what you would have done. But here, this is saying that the credit goes to the man in the, in the arena because he is experiencing the pain and the, and the difficulty of the experience. And when he's there, he might win, but he can lose. But if he loses, he does so daring greatly. And isn't that what our vulnerability is about? To, to put away once and for all 
guilt, and shame in our lives. That's right. We may not be able to fix things the way we want. We may not have it work out the way we'd like. But if we don't dare greatly to be in the arena, to be vulnerable, and to apply ourselves to the mending of our ways, we'll never experience the spiritual victory of overcoming guilt and shame. That is just powerful stuff. It is, Rick. And this is a great subject of coming up the anniversary of our Lord's death. Yes. Um, having this perspective to wash away all the mistakes uh, of the past year right. in our Christian walks, it gives us a fresh sl- slate to start with. And I, I just think that timing is, is wonderful with this. Put guilt and shame where they belong. They belong as boundaries. They belong as reminders in our lives. But they do not belong in control. Dare great li- greatly and thereby banish guilt and shame as a dwelling place. Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 3, 7 through, through 11. But whatever things are gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered, and the loss of all things, and counting them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. So, sometimes we dwell in our, in our guilt and our shame, Jonathan, and therefore we count our guilt and our shame as gain. Ooh. Apostle Paul says, those things that I counted as gain, I no longer, they're, now they're trash, they're rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And then continue the scripture. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. See, passionate faith right there. You can't, you can't do it on your own. You need that passionate faith to lift you above and beyond it. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Think about this, Jonathan. And, and you know, this is, I, I'm just so charged up about this subject. It says that I might be conformed to his death. Do you realize that if we live in guilt and shame, we are conforming ourselves to our own death? Wow. Good point. To conform yourself to the death of Christ, those things have to be put where they belong. And then we can be conformed to his death. What was his death? A sacrificial death. It was a death on behalf of others. It was a death for a higher and greater cause. Guilt and shame are not a higher and greater cause. They are a black hole that destroys us. So, folks, as we wrap up this program, it is so important for us to see guilt and shame for what they are. See the value of them. There is great value. But don't confuse the value with the black hole of living there. Don't confuse the two. I want to go back to that quote from earlier in the program, Jonathan, as we wrap this up. Shame and guilt are, should, be necessary pit stops in the race of our lives, but should never, ever, under any circumstances, be our home address. Where do you live? What's your home address? It's in the forgiveness of God through Christ, in the hands of Jesus Christ, and that way our guilt and shame are provoking us to love and good works, not pulling us back as Satan would have us. Folks, it's a choice. You need to make the choice. You need to take the steps, and we need to move forward. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We'll be back again next week. But until then, we hope you've enjoyed being with us this week. We certainly have enjoyed being with you. Leave your comments on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you there and at our website. But until next week, how do you manage guilt and shame? You've got lots to work with. Think about it.